Hi, ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I am Julie Callio, your host, and thank you so much for taking time to tune in with me today as we walk through the Bible together. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Well, today we are looking at the book of Judges, especially chapters 1 through 5. This is the second book of the books of history. So let's start with the Old Testament books of the Bible song that I learned as a kid. It goes like this. Mm, let us sing the books of history, of history, of history. Let us sing the books of history, which tell of the Jews. First Joshua, second Judges, then the story of Ruth, then first and second Samuel, and first and second Kings. Then first and second chronicles, which gives us the records. Then Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther the queen. So a recap of where the children of are in this story is after they left Egypt, they were going to enter the promised land, but they were scared because the people were as giants and the cities were walled and fortified. Only Caleb and Joshua believed that the Lord would help them to take the land, but the people refused to listen and they were about to kill those two men. Because of the people's lack of faith, they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the first generation died off. Joshua became the next leader of this second generation of Israel, and they took the majority of the land at God's direction. The land was split up between the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember that Levi and his tribe did not get land, only the cities and surrounding areas, the suburbs, and those were within each of the 12 tribes. And Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, got land in place of Joseph. At the end of Joshua, a warning is given. The same was given at the end of Deuteronomy with Moses, and that was that the people needed to be faithful to God or else it would not go well with them. We discussed at the end of Joshua that now that Israel was spread out in the land and the tabernacle was in Shiloh, it made it difficult for the people to come and to worship and to offer sacrifices. Another issue that was mentioned in Joshua was that the majority of the land was taken, but that each tribe was to continue to take their land. Most of them did not succeed. So the Canaanites and their wicked practices, such as temple prostitutes, sacrificing children, and other things, became a stumbling block for the Israelites. There are a couple more things to note as we enter into the book of Judges. The Israelites were a monotheistic religion. They believed in one God, mono one, theo God. The Canaanites were polytheistic many gods. We know of at least four, Baal, Asherah, Dagon, and Astar. They had altars and poles representing these gods. And what happened with the Israelites many times is that they became what we would call a synchronistic religion. They did not disclaim their god, Yahweh, but they added to their god, the Canaanites' god. In other words, they mixed religions. Two more things I want to mention that are significant as we enter into the story of Judges, and that's the land and the era in which they lived. 
With the land, this strip of land connects the continent of Africa to the rest of the known world at the time. Its borders to the left is the Mediterranean Sea, which meant seaports. Those were important. The Philistines, which were sea people, had much of the coastal plains, and a lot of this wasn't taken until King David came around. From those plains came the central mountain range, and this is where Jerusalem and Hebron and Shiloh are located. Then to the right of that mountain range is a rift valley, which is where the Jordan River is. It's here that the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, as well as the Jordan River, are connected. And then the valley is on both sides of the Jordan River. And then on the other side, on the east side of the river, is another mountain range. And after that mountain range, if you keep on going east, you run into the desert. So in other words, Mediterranean Sea, flatlands, mountain range, flatland, and then the Jordan River, more flatland, then mountains, and then the desert. And because of how the land is set up, it affects how various battles were fought. It also affected the roadways and how people traveled. Thankfully, at this time, this plot of land was not yet taken over by a world power. Each town had its own ruler. The world powers come later on in the history of Israel. Here, the Israelites were a pretty primitive nation at the time. Bronze and iron have been used by other people, but Israel were late bloomers, you could say. They did not yet have chariots, but other people did. And this made the chances stack up against Israel, except that Israel had the Lord God Almighty. In the book of Joshua, chapter 23, verse 2, Joshua calls all of Israel before he dies, and he called for the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers. So we see that the judges were selected in every tribe to help lead the people. Judges continues where Joshua left off. In chapter 1, we see Judah and Simeon were expanding their land. And verse 19 says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley by the sea, because they had chariots of iron. The first chapter continues with all of the areas of the land that various tribes had not taken. Then chapter 2, we see an angel or a messenger of the Lord who reminds the children of Israel that one, God brought them out of Egypt. Two, God is faithful to his covenant. And three, Israel has not been faithful to their covenant. Verses 6 through 9 retell of the death of Joshua. And then verses 10 through 23, we see the cycle of the judges. The key word for this book is cycle. Verse 10 sets the stage. And there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor the works which God had done for Israel. So the cycle goes like this. One, children of Israel did evil in the sight of God by following other gods. Two, God let them fall into the hands of the enemies. Three, they cried out from the oppression. Four, God raised up a judge which delivered them out of the hand of the enemy. The Lord was with the judges, and then there was rest in the land. In other words, sin, punishment, repentance, and deliverance. And I guess we could even add to that rest or peace. Then when the judges died, it started again. One thing to note is that the writer of judges, which we do not know, some think possibly Samuel, 
showed that with each cycle, the people turned further away from the Lord. It becomes darker and darker. And this is why this era of Israel is often called the dark ages of Israel. Chapter 3 starts with the nations that Israel had not conquered. And what I like about this section is that it shows that God is still at work, even in the midst of the darkness. We then get a snapshot of 12 male judges and one woman judge. Some are minor and we get just a few verses. Some are like Deborah, Gideon, and Samson, and they get two or more chapters. Different judges are with different tribes, so these may not be in chronological order. Also keep in mind that there were judges in each tribe, and we are talking about a 300 to 400 year time frame. The first king of Israel, King Saul, was around 1050 BC, so the time of the judges started around 1350 to 1360 BC. The writer is purposefully picking these judges to show us how dark it had become in this stage of the nation of Israel. In verses 7 through 11, we see the judge Othniel. He was mentioned in chapter 1. He fought the Canaanites and won and received Caleb's daughter as a bride for a reward. He lived in Hebron, which was in the land of Judah. Here in chapter 3, this time instead of fighting the Canaanites, he fought the king of Mesopotamia. Verse 10 says that the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. The land had rest for 40 years while he lived and then he died. Ehud is judge number two. This time it was the king of Moab that came and took part of the land of Benjamin. Ehud was left-handed and because of that he hit a dagger on his right side which the Moabites did not expect and Ehud killed the king of Moab and the Israelites subdued the Moabites and the land was at rest for 80 years. Then we get just one verse of Shamgar, judge number three. He slew the Philistines with an ox goad, which is a farming tool, and he delivered Israel. We now have one of the heroes of my faith, and this is Deborah. And the cycle continues. Israel again, we see that over and over again. Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. This time it was Jabin, the king of Canaan, and his captain was Sisera. For 20 years they oppressed the Israelites, partly because they had 900 chariots of iron. Israel cried out because of the oppression. Verses 4 and 5 say, And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, she judged Israel at that time. She dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah, and the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now, ladies, one time I heard a man preach that Deborah was a disgrace to the living God. Now, how do I know that he was dead wrong? The text. It's the text where we find the clues. In chapter 2, when the writer explains the cycle that we find in Judges, it is Israel's sin, then oppression, then verse 16 says, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. Who raised up the judges according to this book? The Lord. Does it say in this book that God raised up the judges except for Deborah? No. The Lord raised up the judges, and this time it is a woman. 
Now also notice that she was also a prophetess. If you remember, Moses' sister Miriam was also a prophetess. It seems safe to say that because she was a prophetess first and heard from the Lord, that that put her in the position of judge as well. Deborah then sent and called for Barak and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and get 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, two of the tribes, and God will deliver Jabin's army into your hand? Barak says, Only if you go with me will I go. Deborah says, I will go, but because you are afraid to go by yourself, then a woman will get the glory of the battle. And she was not talking about herself. Both sides are ready for battle. They gather at the dried up riverbed of Kishon. But as we find out in the song in the next chapter, that this dried up riverbed becomes wet as mud. Deborah says unto Barak, Up, for this is the day the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone before you? Then in verse 15, it says that the Lord routed Sisera and his chariots and all his army. God routed it. The Lord routed it to put in commotion. God caused it all to happen. But Sisera got stuck in his chariot and ran away to what he thought was a safe haven. He fled to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. She welcomed him, gave him milk to drink, and covered him up, and he fell asleep. And Jael, Heber's wife, took a hammer in her hand and put a nail into his temple and killed him. When Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said, Come, and I will show you the man that you seek. And verse 23 says, So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. Then in chapter 5, we have Deborah and Barak's song of praise. Now keep in mind that because it is a song, we need to look at it in that light. It is a response of praise to God for what he has done. Also, if you can look at a Bible that does not write it in paragraph format, but in the lines of poetry, that will help you see the flow of the song. Verse 7 shows us that Deborah arose and she is described as a mother in Israel. Then the song talks of various tribes who helped and those who didn't. And then in verse 24, it blesses Jael, a Kenite, not an Israelite, and she kills the enemy. Verses 28 through 30 talk of the women of Sisera and as they are waiting for their men to come home, but they do not come home. Then verse 31 ties it all together. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the rising of the sun in its might. And the land was undisturbed for 40 years. One thing we see in these stories of judges is that God used the most unlikely people to bring him glory. With Othniel, he was Caleb's youngest brother. With Ehud, He was left-handed with Shamgar. He only had an ox goat or a farming tool. And then in Deborah, the Israelites have swords. The enemy has chariots of iron. Plus with Deborah, we see two women who were faithful. Deborah was faithful to the Lord. So the Lord blessed her. If you remember back in Exodus, Miriam who was also a prophetess. She also sang a song of praise to God after they passed through the waters of the Red Sea. But she wanted Moses' position. So she got Aaron and the two of them approached Moses and God punished her with leprosy. 
We do not see anything of that here with Deborah. She just praised God that he would be willing to use her, this wife and mother. God blesses the faithful with himself. Another thing to see in this passage, it is clear again that God is at work in the midst of the beginning of these dark ages. But we also see that the battle belongs to the Lord. When he is on our side, nothing can stop us. So ladies, who are you in this story? Are you an unlikely candidate for the Lord to use for his glory? If that's so, then you are in great company. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 says, For consider your calling, brethren and sisters, that you were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty or noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of this world, the despised, God has chosen these things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. Last week, I heard on the Christian radio station while in my van a song that it was from Casting Crowns, and it's called Only Jesus. A part of it says, and I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. He's the one, the only one who is worthy. We are all a mess, ladies, but when we cling to Jesus, we shine like stars in the midst of the dark world, and only Jesus gets the glory. Today, ladies, if you hear his voice, let's not harden our hearts like the children of Israel did over and over and over again. Instead, let's be women of faith like Deborah and let him use us for his glory and his honor, for he alone paid the price and he alone is worthy. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.